All right, our scripture passage is from Matthew chapter 16, so I'd invite you to turn with me there. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to raise your hand and our Frontlines team will grab one for you. Um, and if you don't want have one that you use at home, um, take that home with you. It's a gift from us to you. Use it well. All right, so Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13. The word says this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Abby. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Mike, and yes, I'm from Hamilton. And uh, our church uh, is called Benediction Church, and we're meeting downtown. It's uh, in my home. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we're really excited about right now is a conversation that we're having between ourselves and um, your leadership about, like, what might it look like for us to to work together, to be like sister churches. I think that's really cool and exciting. Um, As Matt said, I've known James for—actually, I've known you, James, for uh, most of my adult life um, before I was a Christian— I met you at Silver Lake Camp where I was a counselor <laughs> before I was a Christian. Silver Lake Christian Church Camp. And uh, Matt, I've been getting to know over the last, uh, not quite a year, um, but we're getting to be homies. And um, it's really cool to be here. And, uh, you know, this is a place, I actually went to university here. And uh, this was, I mean, this is in many ways home. You know, so this, this is really great to be back. So thanks for, uh, for having me. Um, I'm going to open with prayer, and then we're just going to kind of get started here. Father, I do thank you for this place and for this time. I I thank you that each person here has been brought in um, by your call, by your your sovereign work. And and it's certainly no coincidence that the people who are here are here. And I pray that this morning um, we would receive what you have for us. We would desire it and we would welcome it. And that we'd be changed as a result of what happens here this morning. That we would go home just a bit different than we were when we came in. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's uh, not just true, but it's good for us. That there's, uh, there's no mistakes. There's nothing in there that shouldn't be. And I pray that we would be instructed by it uh, faithfully today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, let me tell you real quick about um, our early Christmas miracle uh, this is something that I, we're very thankful for. Um, Heather and I are members of an organization that will remain nameless, but we pay into this thing. It's an organization that provides roadside assistance so that if your car breaks down and you need a boost or a tow or something like that, you pay and you're a member of this thing and you've got a card and you, there's, they come quickly and, and help you. And um, a few weeks ago, we were camping in Algonquin and uh, our van battery died. And uh, we tossed around the idea of, like, should we just get one of the neighbors from another site to come and give us a boost? And we're like, 
No, because this is why we are members. We pay, and for exactly this reason, for exactly this situation. So we'll call, and they'll be here in no time. They'll boost the, the battery, and we'll, we'll be on our way. Three hours later, <laughs> and like three phone calls later, uh, a guy finally shows up in a truck. And, and uh, it was, you know, kind of frustrating, as you can imagine. We're there with three kids and, and uh, you know, waiting three hours and all of that in Algonquin. And um, now, three hours in itself isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, what made it frustrating is that membership, we thought membership means something. You know, like by virtue of being members, we have, we have a certain reasonable expectation that we're going to receive the benefit in a, in a timely way. Because that's the commitment that we made, and that's the commitment that we thought that they had to, to us. That's what we understood membership to mean. And when I explained that this week to the customer service rep of this organization and reminded her of what membership, what I understood membership means and how important it is that as a culture we honor what membership means, we keep both of our ends of the, of, of the deal, she was so persuaded by that, she actually refunded our annual fee uh, and she actually upgraded us to the plus category of membership. <laughs> Which means that, like, next time this happens, we could actually get a tow all the way home from Algonquin uh, if that happens. So, you should, uh, so, so get down what we're talking about here with membership, all right? Um, you are members of all kinds of groups or organizations and things. There's lots of things that you are probably members of. Let me just open it up, and why don't you shout out if you're a member of something? Okay, like, um, anybody member of a gym, for example? Okay, gyms, okay, good. Other things, what are you a member of? Costco. How many people are members of Costco? Oh my goodness. You guys are part of the problem. Um, sorry, that was recorded. We'll delete that later. Uh, library. Anybody, member, anybody? You have a membership card at a library. You're probably members of a, like a phone plan or maybe you're a member of a labor union. How many of you are members of labor unions? All right. Okay. Members of homeschool groups. Right on. Okay. Uh, other members of other groups, organizations? Okay, member of Power to Change. So, cool. I, I spend a lot of time with Power to Change during my undergrad. Uh, we'll hang out after the service. But um, you're, we're, we're members of all of these different organizations. We just sort of understand, like, membership is a familiar category for us. We understand what it means to, to uh, you know, keep our end of an, an arrangement where there are certain expectations and there are certain benefits. Like if you're a member of Costco, for example, you know that you, it's expected you pay a certain amount. Like is it 60 bucks a year or something like that? 75. Okay, wow. And you, so that's what you pay. It's expected that you will keep that, you'll pay that annually. And you receive a certain benefit, which is that you'll save on, um, on you know, you'll save on, a, you know, a, a case of uh, toilet paper or whatever. And hopefully at the end of the year, it, it pays for itself. Um, so we get how this works. But then when we turn that, that category and we think of the church in terms of membership, something feels wrong about that. And I, I get that. If, if it can kind of feel wrong to go like, it sort of feels exclusive. And, and we might ask questions like, well, why isn't it enough that I attend worship on Sunday? Or, or why isn't it enough that I'm involved in a, a missional community? Uh, why isn't it enough that I'm putting money in the offering plate? You might have a, a, like a, a, a cultural objection, like this is very narrow and exclusive, like it's, it feels wrong for us culturally 
to make distinctions between members and non-members. Or you might make a theological uh, objection, which is that, you know, I am, we know that the Bible has a lot to say about me being members of the cosmic, like the universal church of Christ. Like, we're mem- we're, if we're members of the large C church, why would we, why should we be members of the small C church, like the local church? Like, where does that come from? So I get that. And I, I know that you, as you've been talking about, uh, you know, the vision of Church of the City in terms of, uh, of family and disciples and, and, and missionaries, what, what we want to do is wrap up that series with a challenge to actually own this and step into it yourself as members. My challenge to you today is to formalize the relationship you have with Church of the City if this is your home church. I'm just putting it out there. I'm going I'm to challenge you to become a member uh, and and to, to, to sort of persuade you that this isn't only biblical, but that this is important for our day. It's not just biblical, but it's actually important. In fact, I would go so far as to say that church membership for our day and for our time in, in our culture, church membership is a spiritual discipline. That it's actually going to help you become more like Jesus than you would if you were not. I would go so far as to say that. And so I'm going to spend um, our time this morning trying to persuade you of that and then spending some time looking at what does church membership look like here at Church of the City. Now, when we say it's biblical, I think it's worth pausing for a minute just to think through what do we mean when we say something is biblical? Because not everything that, um, not everything that we know to be true from Scripture is, is, is true, like, explicitly. Like, there are some, some things are very clear. Like, the resurrection of Jesus is just very clear and explicit. There's no sort of debate or discussion about that. Some things are true, some things that we know to be true are true by, like, inference, uh, right? Or, or you kind of have to, have to tease it out a little bit. An example of that, and those things are no less true, by the way, right? And an example of that is the, the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, this is an important doctrine. Like you, this is really pretty like, important, the doctrine of the Trinity. And when you think about it, the Trinity is not as clearly spelled out in Scripture as we might like. Is that true? The Trinity is the answer to the questions, how come Scripture makes it clear that there is one God, and on the other hand, Scripture has these various places where there are these three distinct persons who do and say the kinds of things that only God can do and say. The doctrine of the Trinity is the answer to that. That's where we get the Trinity. It's inferred. It's, it's, it's implicit in Scripture. And, and my argument is that uh, church membership functions the same way. Church membership is, is the same sort of thing. It's true by inference. And so I'm going I'm to share with you actually a thesis. If you're a thesis person, here's where I'm going. The New Testament assumes that every Christian had a formal commitment to a local church that involved certain agreed-on expectations and benefits. Okay, I'm going to say that again. The New Testament assumed that every Christian had a formal commitment to a church that involved certain agreed-on expectations and benefits. All right, so where we're going today, I'm going to share five arguments, five biblical arguments for why that's not just true, but why that's important for our day, so that you will formalize your relationship with Church of the City, or whatever church you're, you're coming from if you're, if you're a visitor today. All right, and the first argument is that, it, that uh, membership is assumed in the Bible's metaphors for the church. It's assumed in the Bible's metaphors for the church. So, Scripture has a whole bunch of different metaphors or, or word pictures 
for the church. And I'm, I'm sure if we took the time, you could think about what some of those are. One is a, a body, right? The church is the body of Christ. And you know what a body is. A body is a, a collection uh, of parts that are connected vitally. It's, a, it's a, this living organism that when the parts are connected properly, it can function. It can do work. It can get some stuff done. Now, the church is the body of Christ. It is the, the physical sort of presence of Christ on earth. And when we are connected, you and I, as, as brothers and sisters, when we are connected vitally uh, and, and in, as, the, as the church, we are able to get some stuff done in the culture, right? So there's that. There's, uh, there is the metaphor of the church as a temple, Okay? Now, a temple, that's the building in the Old Testament where, uh, where God's people would go and gather, and that was where it was understood, this is where you're going to come and experience the presence of God and the power of God as you worship Him. In the New Covenant, in sort of the new deal that God has with us, the church is the presence of God on earth. We are the temple, and you and I are bricks. We are the stones that are being built on top of one another. And when we're connected and stacked properly on top of one another, we actually support the structure. And that connection is really important. And another uh, one of these word pictures is the flock. The flock. Like we're, we're, where we are the sheep and we follow Jesus who is our good shepherd. And uh, now that shepherd, he, you know, the good shepherd, he knows which sheep are his. He knows which ones uh, are not. Uh, he's our leader and our protector, and he cares for us. Uh, and, and we hang out with our shepherd. There's no sort of doubt in the shepherd's mind who is his and, and who is not. Um, another one of those metaphors is that of the family, or the household of God. And you know what a family is, right? As, the, as a family, as the family of God, we look to God as our Father. We look to Jesus Christ as our, as our brother. And, and you and I are brothers and sisters in him. We are, you know, sometimes we are brothers and sisters by blood, but most often we are members of this family by adoption, by spiritual adoption. And, and if you, um, you know, in your family, you know you have a different kind of relationship within the family than you do with everybody in town. You don't have the same expectations, or you don't depend on, say, like your neighbors, or like a house guest. Suppose you have a house guest. You don't depend on a house guest in the same ways that you depend on the, the people in your family. So it's important. Another one of those metaphors is that of the bride, the church as the bride of Christ. This is, a, this is an important, beautiful picture that we have in Scripture. Um, there's this wedding scene that is described in Revelation of this, this, so this wedding scene between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And as they come together, they come together in the way that like a bride and a groom come together. It's this beautiful uh, sort of celebration. And, um, and that's an important picture of how the church relates to Jesus because it's very exclusive, right? A, A good groom doesn't have the same kind of relationship with his bride that he does with every conceivable woman in his life, if he's a good groom. Is that true? So, so that's, that, that's an important picture, that, the nature of that relationship. And in each of these uh, metaphors, in each of these word pictures, what we have is, um, is, a, is a description or a relationship that is vitally connected. It's committed. It's pretty exclusive. And, and you know, that, that commitment is, is really important. And what I want us to see here is just that when the biblical writers, 
when they are grasping for word pictures to express what the church is and what the church needs to do and be for its culture, they grasp for these pictures that communicate uh, commitment and covenant. That's important. That's a big deal for, for us in our understanding of, of church membership and how we relate to one another and how we relate to the church. So that's the first argument. The second argument for why, the, why church membership is not just biblical but important for us is seen in the Bible's instructions to Christian leaders. Okay, in the Bible's instructions to Christian leaders. This is in Hebrews 13, 17. I'd invite you to turn there if you would. Hebrews 13, 17, the writer says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So here, the writer assumes that there are going to be times in the life of a church where the leaders are doing their best to lead the church forward into what God has for them, as they, as they perceive it, as they discern it. And that there are going to be times when some of the people resist that, and they might disagree. And the writer's instructions to that, to that situation are, you know what? Folks on the ground, obey your leaders and submit to them. Because they're, they're accountable, first of all, to God, and then to you. Their main accountability is to God. So obey them and submit to them. Now, here, as it relates to church membership, what's important is we can't actually make sense of this instruction unless, as a, a person on the ground in a church, you know who your leaders are. Like, in order to follow this, this command, we need to understand, like, who are my leaders? Who is it that I submit to? Like, why do I submit to these leaders and not the leaders of that church over there? Like, what, why is that? What is, or, or what happened to make this person or these people my leaders? And those people aren't my leaders. How did that work? And if you're the leaders of a church, it's also really important that you know who you're responsible to lead. In order to do the job faithfully, you need to know, who am I, who am I accountable for? Who am I responsible to, to lead? When God asks me, how did you do as a, as a leader of this congregation, who does he have in mind? So it's really important that we have a, that we, it's very clear that we have an understanding, a formal understanding of who the church is, who the leaders of the church are, and who those leaders are responsible for. And that formal understanding is what we mean today by church membership. It's what's made explicit in church membership. So it's, it's there in the instructions for Christian leaders. It's also there in the Bible's instructions about how we should resolve conflicts. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 18, if you would. Matthew chapter 18. This comes shortly after the passage that was, that was read earlier. What I love about that passage is, um, you know, it's, just, it's a promise that this project that is the church, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work. And I don't know what kind of church background you're coming from, uh, how, however dysfunctional or imperfect your church background is, um, this thing is going to work, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. I really believe that. I really believe that the church is still the hope of the world in, this, in our day and in our time. But a couple of chapters later, Matthew 18, Jesus says this, verses 15 to 17. He says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. 
If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. All right, what's going on there? Here we have a situation in a church family, within a church, where Christian A has sinned against Christian B. Okay, there's an offense and there's a a breach in the relationship, a breach of trust. And um, after a whole lot of interventions, it becomes necessary to exclude Christian A from certain parts of uh, of, the, of the life of the church, so that, he, so that Christian A is now treated functionally, he's treated as an unbeliever. He's welcome to participate in the life of that church uh, in, to the same degree that an, an unbelieving like tax collector could, all right? Now, I want to pause right there, because that's weird. You hear that, and through 21st century eyes, the idea of excluding somebody from a church, or from the life of a church, that sounds weird. And you might think to yourself, like, Why does Jesus say that? What Jesus should be saying is that this is a conflict between these two people. It's their business. It's private, and they should work it out among themselves. And if they can't, they should agree to disagree, and one of them should leave and go to another church. That's what we would say. And you got to know, that is like the furthest thing that Jesus has in mind in his instructions for how this conflict should be resolved. Here's what he does say. In fact, this is a really strong argument in my mind for formalizing your relationship with a church in membership. Because these instructions only work if a few things are true. For example, this only works if there exists some identifiable group that you can call the church. So that when a message comes from the church, or the church needs to communicate something to Christian A, that Christian A knows that he's being spoken to by the church. So how does that work? Like, who's invited to that meeting? Who gets that email? There has to be this identifiable group called the church. These instructions also only work if, like, you can only actually exclude Christian A from the life of this church if, at some point, he was included. He can't be excluded in any kind of a formal, decisive Uh, unified way unless at some point he was included in some kind of a formal way. And then thirdly, the only way that Christian A can be held accountable in in this situation for what he's, whatever it is that he's done, and we don't know, but, you know, because it's hypothetical, but the only way we can, the only way that uh, we can hold Christian A accountable for his behavior is if at some point Christian A agreed not to do whatever the thing is that he's now in trouble for, right? Because if that's not true, if those things are not in place, here's what happens. First of all, the process that Jesus has laid down has no teeth. It won't work if those things aren't true. But but also, if, if if these things aren't true, then what happens is, Church, this church tries to, uh, you know, it, it goes through this process with Christian A, and Christian A is going to say a couple of things. He's going to say, first of all, you can't exclude me. You can't exclude me because I never chose to jump in in the first place. There was no mechanism by which I, I was actually included. So you, what right do you have to exclude me? But he's also going to say, who do you think you are to judge me for this? You have no right to judge me or hold me accountable for something that I never said I wouldn't do. I never promised I wouldn't do that thing, so what do you think? How can you exclude me on the basis of having done this thing that I never said I wouldn't do? And I would just pause here for a minute and just say, like, I think there's a good word in here for us as Christians to be the kinds of church, 
to be the kinds of churches where, you know, to be excluded from that would be like the worst thing in the world. Like there's a good word in here for us that we should be the, the kinds of churches that if a brother or sister needed to sort of be put in time out, because that's kind of what this is, that if a brother or sister needed to be put in time out, that that would be so unbearable that they would immediately like repent and beg to be brought back in because of all of the amazing things that they're missing out on. That's the kind of churches that I think we need to be. But, uh, but again, membership is implicit in, in these instructions, okay? Uh, fourth argument for the importance of, of membership is in the early Christians' fear of abusing the church. So the early Christians had this fear of abusing the church. This is a pretty interesting story. I'm not going to tell the whole thing, but in Acts chapter 5, there's this story of a married couple named Ananias and Sapphira who are, are embroiled in what is probably one of the very first like real estate scams ever recorded in history, okay, if you're familiar with the story. Um, and they lie about it. They try to cover it up, and they assume that there's, it's not going to have any consequences. It's not going to harm anyone. Uh, again, they lie to cover it up, and they're, you know, they're, it's exposed that they were lying, and they both drop down dead, like very publicly. Okay? Everybody sees it. And so there's this reaction. Um, as, people, as people see these two who have, who've, who have lied to the church uh, after this, this, this scandal and this, uh, this controversy, there's a lot of fear. And this is a time when the gospel is going out and the Spirit of God is bringing people to faith and tons and tons of people are becoming Christians. But there's a group of people who are not. They're not joining this because they're afraid. And the text tells us in Acts chapter 5, it says that great fear came upon the whole church. This is in response to what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were together in Solomon's portico. But listen to this, verse 13. None of the rest dared join them. <laughs> None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Listen to this. None of the rest dared join them. So in response to what they've seen happen to Ananias and Sapphira, there's a whole bunch of people who are like, yes, we want to be part of this. But there's another group who are saying like, whoa, I thought I was ready to join. I was thought I was ready to join them, as the text says. Um, but when I see what happens, or what I see, when I see what happened there to Ananias and Sapphira, I realize that joining this, to be actually formally identify with this group, it has some implications. And I need to take that seriously. So I, I thought I was ready to join them, but I'm actually, maybe I'm actually not. Maybe I shouldn't until I'm ready to live uh, in accordance with, with uh, whatever the commitment is that, that's sort of expected by, by virtue of belonging in, in this group. What's, what I think is really cool here is, um, is that back in the earliest days of the church, it's understood not only among believers, but among non-believers too, that to belong to this thing, that to, to identify formally and, and publicly with a church, it has implications. It has, it has meaning. That's a really big thing. Um, and in our context, that step or that, that, that step of identifying with a church, that's what we call church membership. It has meaning. Okay, and the fifth, my fifth and final argument for the importance of church membership is, uh, is in the, the first Christian's distinctions between disciples. 
And this is a really interesting passage. It's one of those passages that if you aren't familiar with it or if you sort of fly by it, you, don't, you, you may not realize that it's actually there, and it might startle you. It, let me tell you, I didn't write this. This is actually in there. Um, so this is, um, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to his protege, Timothy, who is a pastor of a ch- another church, and giving instructions about how to lead better and how to sort of solve some of the everyday problems of ministry. One of those bits of instruction is this. He says, this is 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 to 10. He says, Let a widow be uh, enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So here's, here's the picture I want you to, to get here. The church in this context is, is being sort of flooded by requests. We need help. Like, we need financial help. We need help with food. We need help with clothing. And the church wants to help everybody. There's, there are way, there's way more need than Timothy and, and his helpers, his leaders, have, have the ability to respond to. Okay? You with me? That's what's going on. There's this, these requests. This, there's a great need. And Timothy is figuring out what's the best way for me to respond. He wants to help. And Paul gives him some criteria by which he can discern who he can help, knowing that it won't be everybody, right? Knowing that it won't, it's not going to be everybody. He's going to have to focus the, his time and the resources of the church on some of the widows, but not all of them. So Paul's going to give him some criteria to decide and to discern which ones to help. Now, just pausing there, we read that through 21st century eyes, and you're like, oh my goodness. How in the world are you going to decide that this widow gets the help of the church and this widow doesn't? Like, that is so exclusive. How could, we, how could that possibly be a, a biblical concept? How can we possibly help some people and not others? And listen, you got to know, every leader in this church feels that exact same tension. Because every leader knows, uh, just as Paul knew and just as Timothy know, knew, every church has limited resources, limited time, and we want to be able to help everybody, right? You're, you, um, this, this same challenge faces every, every pastor, every, every, every leader. We know that we, would, we wish that we could meet with everybody who wants our time. We, want, we wish that we could feed everybody who needs food and, and clothe everybody who needs clothing. We wish that we could advocate for every single person who has been oppressed or, or marginalized. We wish that we could, but we know that we can't help everybody. And so Paul's advice to Timothy is, here's what you do. You make a list. And here's, here's the criteria by which you're going to decide who is on the list and who isn't. So, so they're enrolled. It uses the word enrolled. So this is the picture of, of a list or the creation of some kind of a program where Timothy is going to respond to these widows. And here's the thing. There's lots more we could say about that. This is not an explicit command for anybody to become a church member. I totally get that. But what it clearly does is it clearly shows that from the very earliest times, churches had to make distinctions in terms of uh, who would receive the resources and the help of the church and who wouldn't. That's a hard word. That's hard. 
We wish we could help everybody, but we, of course we can't. We have to draw a line somewhere. We have to have some kind of criteria to decide how we're going to figure out who gets, our, who gets the help and, and who we will help if we can get to them. That's hard. We don't have a widow's list today, right? Churches aren't typically making widow's lists, but we do have membership lists. Your church has a membership list. So there's this, and there's, in all of these arguments, what's going on is we have, uh, and just so you know, like there are other biblical arguments that could be made, but in all of these, Scripture isn't going to allow us to, to view the relationship that we have uh, with our church in sort of a casual way. Like there's a, actually a lot at stake here. There's a, there is a lot of work that the church needs to be doing in our context and in our culture. And so we need to take this relationship very, very seriously. We need to be vitally connected. We need to be committed uh, in our local churches. Not just, for, obviously, for the sake of the mission, although that's really important, but for the sake of ourselves, for our own sake as, as disciples. And, and that's, what, that's what membership is. That's what membership does. Now, spend a few minutes talking about what does that look like actually at Church of the City? Okay, what, is, what does membership look like at Church of the City? Um, it, it, you know, interesting, a couple of generations ago, if you wanted to find out what does membership include or what is, what's expected of you by virtue of membership, it was signing on to, a set, to, to obey a certain set of rules. And so some of those, for example, would be things like, as, you know, and these are actual quotes, that as a member of this church, I, ab- I agree to, uh, to abstain from alcohol, I will not gamble, I won't buy lottery tickets, I will give 10% of my income, I will be, uh, you know, I will uh, regularly attend, oh, sorry, I will attend worship at least 75% of the time. And so there were these very explicit rules that we agree to follow in membership in generations past. Now, in, in, in those days, the church had a different posture toward the culture than it does today in, in, in some ways. Like in those days, uh, as, as churches figured out what are we going to, what is membership, what problem is membership there to solve, the posture of the church was we need to shield ourselves somehow against the culture. We need to figure out how to exclude these influences that we don't want and, and avoid, you know, worldliness in, in all the ways that we possibly can. And so the, we're going to create membership as a way to isolate ourselves. That's maybe a bit reductionistic, but it's, it's, it's basically true. That's how, that's how membership functioned. And, and once we do that, once we create these walls, we will be free to learn more about Jesus. And, uh, and it, had, it had much less to do about mission, had much less to do about uh, discipleship, actually. That's not what church membership looks like today. That's not the posture of this church in particular with regard to membership. And I, let me share this. This is actually from your membership package. You can find this online, and I would encourage you to go there later today or sometime this weekend as you keep thinking about membership. Go to churchofthecity.ca slash membership, and you'll find a link to the membership package. And there, just on the topic of legalism, it says, True freedom is not the freedom to do as one pleases, but rather empowerment to do what is best. Church of the City re- rejects legalisms that mistakenly identify certain cultural practices as biblical imperatives or that emphasize outward conduct as the measure of genuine Christian maturity apart from inward thoughts and motivations. I just think that's really important when we talk about what, what's expected of a member, well, you know, what's required by virtue of membership. That's really important to talk about, to, to call out that there is a risk of legalism. And as it goes on, it says, this is on page 14, 
<clears throat> Church of the City expects its members to make personal choices according to biblical priorities and with careful consideration for the immediate and long-term impact on one's own well-being, the well-being of others, and the well-being of the church. Totally right on. Now, what does that look like? There, there is a process at Church of the City. If you go online, you, you know, you, I would encourage you to, to read through the membership package. Uh, read through the, its statements of faith, its position uh, statements on, on different cultural issues. Read through what's sort of expected or what the, what the covenant is that you're forming if you become a member. And then you fill out a form online and you submit that. Somebody will get in touch with you. And then you're going to get contacted by a, uh, you'll have a conversation with, uh, with one of the elders or a couple of the elders who are going to sit down and they're going to want to have a conversation and hear your story and find out like, what, is it, what can we do together if you become a member of this thing? And, and are you ready for that? And do you, do you understand what you're committing to in, in membership? Then that elder or those elders are going to go back to the elders team and, and they're going to have a conversation among them and say like, you know, I had this, we had this great conversation with Jeremiah. We think he's a really, really great guy. He's, he, he wants to be a member. And, and uh, here's why, actually, we think he'd be a, he, he would be a great uh, member of this church uh, for, for, for his own sake uh, and for the sake of the church as well. And then they'll, they'll, they'll decide on, on whether uh, to, to include in membership or not. And, and then you would find out that either, yes, you've been, you've been approved as a member and introduced at a, at a certain uh, point, maybe in a worship service, or the conversation would be, we love you. We're just, we just don't think you're ready for that yet. But we want to bring you to that point. Either way, it's very pastoral. It's, it's all about discipleship. If you do join this church in membership, I want you to know there are, there are, there are basically like four kind of key commitments that Church of the City asks you to make. Every church has its own. At Church of the City, here's what it looks like. It's a commitment to gather, all right? And, and there's lots of different times in the year when, when you gather, but primarily what we have in mind here is in the worship service, in this, in this reunion gathering. Um, and, and, you know, you're going to, it's sort of expected and that if you're a member, you're going to make this a priority, and in order to make it a priority, in order to actually be here, you're going to say, in saying yes to this, you're saying no to some other stuff, right? Saying yes to being present and sort of attentive on a Sunday morning might mean saying no to some stuff on Saturday night, okay? Membership means that. Um, it, so, so gathering and scattering. Uh, being a member of Church of the City in, includes being connected in a missional community, these are sort of the main vehicle of, of discipleship and mission uh, at Church of the City. And, you know, lots of churches have an understanding of what membership means for them. Here, be in a missional community. Just do it. Find one. Get connected. And this is where you're going to grow, and this is where you're going to be on mission. So gathering and scattering. These are the two sort of rhythms of, of membership at Church of the City, but there's a couple of more because it, this doesn't just happen. It involves a commitment to serve. If you're a member of this church, being a member at Church of the City means you're not gonna, I'm not just going to sit back and I'm not going to watch everybody else do the heavy lifting. I'm going to figure out what does it mean for me to serve. So whether it's in the children's ministry or the music team or the tech team or leading a, a you know, missional community or something like that, you're going to find a way to get involved and to serve and make this happen. And the fourth commitment, if you're a member, it's just expected. It just makes sense for, for the church's sake, but also for yours, that you're going to give and support this, this thing and make it happen. It's not going to just happen. We need to give to it. So, we, you know, it's, it's, it's understood that if you're a member, you're going to give generously. You're going to give sacrificially. 
And, and generosity and sacrifice don't look the same necessarily for every family. Like if you think about the 10% tithe, um, there are some families for whom if you actually gave 10% of your income, you couldn't eat. I totally get that. There are some families for whom if you gave away 10% of your income, you wouldn't miss it at all. It would make no conceivable dent in, or perceivable dent in your, um, in your lifestyle. Okay, so, so it's up to you. No, by the way, none of your leaders actually know, uh, they're not legally allowed to know what you give. And, and so this is between you and the Lord. You figure it out. As your family sets its budget, you just look at the beginning of the year and you say, what does it look like for us to be generous and sacrificial in our giving? And those are, the, those are the core components, or those are the, four, the, the core commitments of membership at Church of the City. You're going to gather and scatter and serve and give. And, and what I really like about these commitments is that these are, these are just so fundamental to the Christian life. Isn't that true? Like, the way that your membership package is written, these are actually commitments that you make to the Lord that are expressed on the ground here at Church of the City. But these are not sort of arbitrary hoops that... Church of the City asks you to jump through. You make these commitments to the Lord Jesus, and you live them out in community here at Church of the City. That's a really big deal. These are, these are essential. They're important. Uh, and that's why I say that this is, a, that's why I say that, that church membership is a spiritual discipline. This is such a key, important part of your growth as a follower of Jesus. Now, it may be that after this, you're not persuaded that it is, you're not persuaded that it's, that, it's, uh, that it's either biblical or important. You might be persuaded that it's biblical, and I would totally get this. I, I could understand if you feel like church membership is biblical, but you feel like, you know, it would actually make no difference in terms of how I relate to the church. Like this, you know, maybe it's, like I get that it's biblical. It's not a human invention. It is something that God has, you know, it, it's certainly implicit in Scripture, but what difference would it actually make? Like, I'm just as committed as anybody else in the room. What's the point? Now, that attitude isn't uncommon, I'd say. But if that's you, I would just want to ask, like, are you sure? Like, are you sure that it would make no difference? Like, how can you even know that? Like, aren't we a people who need the act in order to know that we know that we know? Aren't we? Like, marriage is that. Like, think of lots of the different kinds of relationships that we have. Um, let me tell you a quick story as I close. Um, a few years ago, in, in the last church that I was a, a pastor of, um, I, had a, I was together for coffee with a guy. He, he and his family had come to our church, and after about six months, we were able to get together. And um, he's actually a seminary professor. And so he's teaching and training young men and women to be leaders of the church. And I was really excited to get to know him better, figure out how, we, how could we partner in ministry. And I already knew going in that by the time they came to our church, he, that his family had left three other churches in under five years. So, okay, that doesn't necessarily prove anything, but I, I already knew that. And over coffee, we, we, uh, I, you know, we had the conversation. One of the things we talked about was membership. And I challenged him to consider becoming a member of the church uh, that where, where we were both uh, together. And he actually got pretty defensive. He said something that was really interesting. He said, why would I become a member of your church if I'm already a member of the church of Christ? He said that. Why would I become a member of your church if I'm already a member of the church of Christ? And as we com- continued in that conversation, it was really clear that uh, he actually had a lot of scars 
from, from past church experiences. It was really clear that he believed, that, or that his, it was his view that the church was mine and not his, and he, that he believed that membership is just a favor that Christians do to their pastors. That was sort of his view. But then he said something that was really interesting, and I've actually, I've never forgotten this. He said, uh, being a member would make no difference, it would make absolutely no difference in terms of how I relate to this church. He said, being a member of this church would make absolutely no difference in terms of how I relate to this church. And, um, you know, he, his family, they were with us for about three years before they left and they went on to another church. And, and not every story ends that way. But I want you to know, let me just tell you a secret. From the perspective of a pastor, I know that for most Christians, uh, you, you are only ever, in most cases, you are only ever one good conflict away from leaving your church. Apart from like a robust, consistent, formal relationship between us that is spelled out in membership, most Christians are only ever one good conflict away from leaving their church and saturating our culture with unreconciled, angry Christians. And we need to be different. We need to be different. We, that's, we, we need membership for that, for, for if nothing else, for that very reason. We need a robust, consistent practice of church membership because church membership is your way of saying, not only do I like identify with the mission of this church, like I, I am totally on, I'm totally fired up about this missional community idea. Like this is how we're going to reach this culture. And this is how we're going to see people one to the kingdom. But church membership is also how you say, I need you. Like, I need to come under your leadership. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. It's a way of making explicit that I need your help, and I'm giving you permission in church membership. I, I formally, I explicitly give you permission to speak truth into my life and to hold me accountable to live in a Christian way. So maybe you think that, maybe you think church membership isn't going to make a big difference in terms of how you relate to your church. But let me tell you, as a pastor... Without church membership or something like that, I don't know how long you're around. I don't know how much permission I actually have to speak truth into your life. And the rest of us don't either. So church membership, you may feel like it may not make a big difference in terms of how you relate to your church. It's probably not even true, by the way. But church membership isn't mainly about you. It's not only about how you relate to your church. It's also about how your church relates to you. It makes a big difference in terms of how your church relates to you. Let's pray. Lord, I do uh, want to pray for this church family. And this is a church on mission. And this is a church that is, is serving in the, a culture that struggles with commitment. And uh, I, I, pray that, I pray for anybody who is sort of um, on the cusp and, and figuring out, like, what is my role in this place? Where do I fit in? Uh, and I pray that you would make that really clear. I pray that there would be really clear, um, really clear things that draw them and hold them in this, in this church so that they could serve according to their gifts and their talents and passions and experiences and stuff like that. I do pray that you would just multiply and bless the ministry of Church of the City. Uh, truly, Lord, let it, let it be that, um, 
that as a result of the ministry of this church that it, it becomes a little more in Guelph uh, as it is in heaven. I, I want to pray for anybody who's wrestling with commitment, though, and who is sort of approaching their church relationship, whether it's here or elsewhere, as a, as a consumer. I, I, Lord, where it's, where it's necessary, I pray that you would grant repentance. Where there are people who've been hurt or who've been burned by their church experiences, Lord, I pray that you would heal and grant them freedom and enable them to forgive what needs to be forgiven and to really receive uh, the, the healing touch of your spirit so they can grow and they can move past that and they can serve in such a way uh, as to bring others into this Christian life. I pray for the leaders of this church, Father. I pray for the pastors and pray for the elders and other leaders that they would have wisdom and discernment as they sort out what membership looks like and who should be included in membership. I pray that, that the leaders of this church would, would never come to a point of saying no to somebody to whom you've already said yes. But I pray that you would build this church up uh, as a church of members who are together on mission, and are together in their need to be discipled and grow. Lord, would you do that? Would you change us? Would you call us out, call out any, of, any wrong attitudes or sinful behaviors in us that need to be repented of and help us to do that in community as brothers and sisters so that as this thing goes forward, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. I do thank you for this time. In the name of Jesus, amen.